Well, hello, everybody. Welcome again to the Nefesh Podcast, episode 11. My name is Sandy Jo Leonard, and I'm excited that you're joining us. Uh, If this is your first time listening, thanks for listening. And if you've been listening, I know that you've been enjoying the the episodes and and I'm sure the soul stories that we've had and and even more soul stories to come. I'm looking forward to to all the time with the people that I get to, to spend talking and dialoguing. And uh, well, this week I want to uh, I want to talk about something that's been uh, resonating with me. I've been reading a book on on uh, Mussolini <laughs> and fascism, and I know that does not sound at all interesting. Please don't stop listening just <laughs> because I've shared that. Please don't please don't stop. Just hang with me. I promise I'm going to bring it around to to something that really matters. Um, I didn't. I haven't studied. Um, I know a lot about uh, uh, Jewish history, and particularly in World War II and the Holocaust and and Hitler. Um, unfortunately, there were other dictators and evil, evil dictators around that time, and not just Hitler. We had um, Stalin, and we then had uh, Mussolini, and in Italy, and. Uh, just a really, really terrible time, a really dark point of history. And if you don't know, know anything about Mussolini or anything about fascism, it's okay. Again, please don't don't press stop. I promise this is not going to be one long history lesson. Um, but I'm always fascinated with with things and and connections that I make today. So here, let me let me switch switch gears and and make this connection. If you've at all, you know, been living above a rock, uh, you've known about the the death of of the the longest reigning monarch in British history. I think in in history, uh, Queen Elizabeth II, who uh, passed away, I believe, in early September uh, of 2022, and um, you know just. Kind of the extraordinary woman that she was and the the she always reminded me of kind of a combination of my mom and my grandma um, she just the, the way she looked when she was younger for sure reminded me a lot of my mom and then just as she got older her style uh, just reminded me of my grandmother I think my I, I think my grandmother loved all things uh, British I think we we have some of that English and maybe Welsh in our in our lineage on that side but I've always been fascinated with English history British history uh, um, I've I had the privilege of going to England when I was in high school on a missions trip and loved every minute of it I just love I love the the culture there I, I think it's a beautiful area with such a rich history and so as I've been, you know, following a little bit the Queen's death and, and the funeral and, of course, all of the, all of the drama with, the, with family. I mean, you know, the, the reality is any family that doesn't have drama, even, you know, a British royal family, um, is, is really non-existent. It doesn't exist. There's always, there are always fights and problems and petty squabbles and sometimes pretty significant issues. And so, you know, I've been following a little bit of that, but it's made me dive back into, um, shows like the crown on Netflix. And I hadn't finished watching seasons three and four, and it made me dive back into documentaries that I had watched before. And I've, I've read some biographies on, um, uh, the queen mother, queen Elizabeth, II's mother. I've, I've read some biographies on princess Diana and prince charles and 
I remember where I was when I heard about uh, Princess Diana's death uh, 25 years ago. I was um, actually about to start my junior year of college, and I was um, I was actually writing for the for the school newspaper, and I wrote about her death, and I wrote about Mother Teresa. They died around the same time, and so I wrote a little bit about them and um, you know the tragedy that it was. And so I've I've been following it a little bit, and, and as I've died, you know, as I've dived back into it, um, I've it I've the perspective from this angle as I've as I've been rewatching some again some documentaries and reflecting upon the the royal the the lineage the house of the windsors the the british monarchy starting back with um uh who was it king king george the 5th i believe who is the son of queen victoria again i promise this won't be just a history lesson just bear with me but queen victoria was was um was the i think the longest reigning monarch until queen elizabeth ii and and she had all these kids who then married all their, you know, married off into royalty across Europe. And um, her son, King, I believe it was King George V, took over after after her reign. And he was around the time of the World War One, and reigning during that time. And it was at that point that they changed their name from a, a German uh, name to the Windsors. And there's a whole, you know, discussion and drama about that. But that the house of the the house of Windsor essentially is that is the British line the British monarchy you know as I was thinking back to just all of the 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 sovereigns as they would be called now King Charles the the third if you go back in history King Charles the third then before that Queen Elizabeth the second then before that I believe it would have been King George the sixth and then King George V, and even to his mother, Queen Victoria. And, and that's, by the way, where we get this whole concept of the Victorian age. Um, it was during her reign and kind of this, this um, Puritan, very, very uh, uh, pure type of lifestyle and, and uh, uh, holy and, and sacred and, and your, do your duty and all that kind of stuff. You know, all of these sovereigns, all of these kings and queens, they, there was, there's something about them that reflected just like their duty, their, their role as sovereigns, that especially over time as the monarchy had less and less power, it really, their role becomes much more, um, not even symbolic, that's not a good way to, to phrase it, but their role becomes more about the strength and the, 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 the strength that they illustrate, the strength of their, that they show, the, the compassion that they show at various times, but they're, they're almost something that you can kind of depend upon, and especially during the reign of Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, you can depend that there she is, and she's in good health, and she's doing her thing. She doesn't really get involved a whole lot in politics, and she doesn't voice her opinion or a disagreement with the House of Parliament. She's not a rock star, so to speak, in and of her, or she wasn't in and of her own weight. Her, her role as the British sovereign was not to be, was not to draw attention to herself. Now she did because she was the queen. She, she naturally drew attention to herself and everything that she did was watched and documented. 
but it wasn't as if she was trying to draw attention to herself. She wasn't out there trying to carve a role and set herself off from everybody else. In fact, that's one of the things I think that some people appreciated about her, that she was really, she saw her life as a, as a duty, uh, that this was the role that she was to play, and she took it very, very um, seriously. It was, it was like this sacred role. And uh, for those of you who don't know, in the British uh, monarchy, even to this day, now King Charles III, her son, is considered the head of the Church of England. He is the head of the Church of England. He that that's that's the that's the one of the roles that he plays, and so it's a it's a sacred one as much as it is a political or a, a monarchical you know type of role. And so there there was always this sense that in the family you it's kind of the the stiff upper lip type thing. You don't show weakness. You don't show um, emotion. You just, you, as Winston Churchill was famous for saying, you keep calm and you carry on. And there, there, there was this sense about, about the, uh, about the monarchy and especially about Queen Elizabeth II. Well, all of that turned on its head with Princess Diana. And it, there's a lot that, that we could go into and, and it, it's, there's a lot there to unpack, even psychologically. And, you know, this poor girl who's really thrown into a situation that she was not prepared for. And, um, you know, there's, there's a, it's tragic all around. But over time, after a while, and especially as, it, it, as she's, it seems, and I'm, I'm obviously way distant from the situation, and all I know is what I've read or what I've been told, but um, her, over time, her frustration and, and, and angst and, and anger over the, how she was being treated or mistreated. And, and then it became about the press and, and the, the, uh, affairs within the marriage. And over time it built up and, and she is famous for having done that interview. And I remember where I was when I, when I saw the interview playing, I, I think it was, um, it was a Thanksgiving weekend and, and I was walking through some mall and I saw it kind of playing on the, on the background. And it, that, that was an explosive interview where it was a tell all interview where she unloaded and shared kind of these dirty secrets of the, of the Royal family. And even though it kind of had gone on or it kind of had happened even prior with, uh, with, uh, Sarah Ferguson and Prince Andrew, nothing to the extent of the heir to the throne, Prince Charles and, and Diana, princess of Wales. And, and so it just became this explosive thing. And there's a certain extent to which, and again, this is all just third hand perception, all from the view of history that she really embraced that public role that even though she didn't like the um, you know, the media attention and the tragedy of the paparazzi tra chasing her and all of that is just a mess. But there's a sense to which she almost entered into that persona, that public persona and embraced it and used it to her advantage to get attention. So um, while I believe absolutely that she had an empathetic and compassionate heart and cared about people, there also seems to be no doubt that she was using 
that empathy and compassion to draw attention to herself and almost to elevate herself to the to the level of overshadowing every other royal and certainly overshadowing the role of princess or the role of you know the crown the role of of the monarchy and she was exhibiting i think what we refer to now as the cult of personality or uh, uh, there are other terms obviously that we could refer to it as the celebrity persona or um it, the the era of fame and celebrity and and um every person having access to this fame is is even more prevalent than than it was 25 years ago when she when she passed away but this understanding of of being drawn to somebody because of their personality or their celebrity status and and seeing it from this lens and again looking i've read about her before i've read a lot you know on the monarchy but seeing it now from this lens at this time period and and most recently i i've been reading uh, again this book on on mussolini and and fascism in italy and and really because i don't know a whole lot about mussolini but the author of this book the fascist spectacle uh, simonetta uh, falasca zamponi uh, references this i this thought that you know in the 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 19th century in the 1800s there was a culture of character and it really was the victorian age it was across not just uh not just america across europe it was the sense of of righteousness and and pure and doing what is right not to say that everybody did but uh, um uh, and it wasn't just Queen Victoria who led it. You've got, again, you've got, um, you've got a long history of Puritans and Protestantism coming from the Protestant Reformation in the late 1800s and early 1900s in America and in Europe. You've got what's known as the holiness movement, and that's what out of which originates the Pentecostal movement. The, the holiness movement really emphasized a, 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 a pursuit of holiness, an understanding of what of how we can be righteous and how we can be pure and and a focus on on our character and this this author uh, of the fascist spectacle she mentions this culture of character that that was really the 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 impetus or the the dynamic particularly of the of the 1800s that it was in in her words a, a culture of character it exemplified the construction of the moral self via the disciplined control of impulses and the internalization of moral values end quote but then something shifted and she talks about how in the 20th century so the the 1900s early 1900s there begins to be a shift a focus on uh, self-help books a focus on uh, behaviors a focus on even even um, not so much a a transformation as a an external uh, uh, transformation 
an idea of self-fulfillment, an idea of, of uh, rather than kind of self-denial, a really, uh, what, what she refers to as a, a notion of expressive personality. And what rises out of this, and we see, we see a lot rising even historically within psychology, with an understanding of the self and the importance of the self, a rise of what we would call, uh, what, what, what she and what other scholars reference as the culture of personality. Now, though today we use a shortened phrase, the cult of personality, but a culture of personality begins to originate not, not necessarily as a right or wrong, as a moral right or wrong. And, and it's not to say that the culture of character was right and the culture of personality was wrong. It's not, it's not those two things being pitted against each other. It's just that the focused, focus shifts. In the culture of character, in the, the uh, perhaps again, the Victorian age or uh, the time period of, of the 1800s and maybe even prior, there was a for focus on your own, uh, there was a focus on discipline, there was a focus on your character, there was a focus on maybe doing what was right. But it leads to, at some point, there shifts into, with so much changing in the world, there's so many historical changes in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Modern technology in the early 1900s, you get uh, the development of, you know, obviously of the car and the Wright brothers learn, you know, building contraptions to be able to fly. You get, you get um, uh, picture pictures and moving pictures that eventually become movies. And you get uh, in the late 1800s, so much is changing in Europe. And then, of course, you get in, in America, religiously speaking, you get uh, America coming out of the Civil War, which was such a dark and depressing time. And, and I believe at a certain point around that, after the Civil War, it was like, I, the statistic is so low, I, but I can't remember it. I think it was like maybe 10, 15, 20% of people in America were really, were like members of a church, were, were actually involved in, in, in church. It was so low. And then you hit the Azusa Street Revival in 1906, and you see uh, various other revivals taking place because it's such a dark period. And there is a shifting all over. And out of this, out of this focus on the self, out of this focus on on being a unique person, and again, it's not necessarily a bad thing here, on understanding yourself and the identity of the self, out of that grows a focus on the self, and not necessarily a focus on the character, but on the exterior self, on the personality, on, on the things that 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 other people see character is not always something that people can see but the but the personality is something that i can exhibit in in a variety of ways and she she says that uh quote the culture of personality emphasized strong individuals who would be able to compel people to like them personal charm and fascination rather than moral attributes constituted major qualities. To me, it is no coincidence that 
in the early 1900s, the late 1800s, early 1900s, that this shift into a focus on the self, a focus on getting people to like me, a focus on my personality as opposed to my character, it's no coincidence that here is when we begin to see the most atrocious and awful, uh, truly evil dictators and leaders of the world. Again, Stalin, Mussolini, and Hitler were all leading at the same time in World War II. Stalin statistically in, in uh, the Soviet Union killed more people statistically than Hitler. And I believe the majority of them were his own people. The, these leaders who were leading at the same time, uh, particularly Hitler and Mussolini, were charismatic, strong leaders who drew people to themselves, who had a way of, of charming the individual and their, their, um, their personality and the things that they said and what, how they appealed. And, and again, there's so much that you can go into, particularly with, with Hitler and Mussolini, on how they appealed to, to the common people and what they needed at that moment. What was it that the, the German people at that time needed to hear? They needed, they needed a scapegoat. They needed someone to blame all of the, their troubles on and all of the, the reasons why World War I ended so badly and while, why, why they were now uh, destitute after World War I. Well, let's blame the Jewish people. In, in Italy, it's, it's, it became a focus on this is why um, democracy, essentially, why, why the republic and the par parliament really doesn't work. This is why fascism is the only way to, to and I am essentially the only, the only way to solve your problems. That they both appealed to what the people needed and uh, were able to, to amass such an amazing following now, obviously, um, you know, hopefully none of us listening have those extreme tendencies. And, and I don't think that's our focus is to become these, these mass, awful, uh, evil dictators and leaders. But what it does speak to me at the, coal, at the core, at the soul level, is this, how easy it is to get lost and to get led astray by the development, by the lack of development and the lack of focus on our character as opposed to the focus on our personality, our celebrity status, what is on the outside as opposed to what is on the inside. I remember, you know, a couple decades ago in the mid to late 90s when reality TV started, I've never been a fan, fan of reality TV. If you are, you know, <laughs> go for it. I just, I feel like my life has enough drama. I don't need any of the, the drama that is just crazy and not, you know, some of it, it just, to me, it's just, it just is grating. I, I, I can't do it. I really don't like it, as you can tell. Uh, but I remember when it first came out, I remember you had like the real world on MTV. And then I think one of the first ones was like American Idol and then Survivor and, and, you know, like it's, it's not really reality, but we call it reality TV. And I remember that, um, 
Paris Hilton had a had a show and and uh, her and uh, uh, something Richie I can't remember Nicole Richie and they had a show about you know having to go and like live on a farm and 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 try to live they were basically their rich daughters of these famous um, Nicole Richie is the daughter of Lionel Richie the the singer and Paris Hilton was the daughter of the the Hilton family they they owned all those hotels and so they had to go and and like work on a farm and it was funny to to see them trying to do that having been raised kind of like you know as if they were princesses and then there was the other show keeping up with the kardashians and i never especially when it first came out i think it took me so many years to even figure out who these people were i i just like who are the kardashians why do i care why do i care about these people um and their and their drama and all i knew was that then at at that time it was bruce jenner who has now since changed into caitlin jenner but bruce jenner i knew him i knew he was a former olympian and i and i think i made the connection that he had married um obviously he married somebody and he had these kids but i didn't know who she was and it took me a while to make the connection that she used to be married to I think it was Robert Kardashian, who was one of O.J. Simpson's lawyers. And I was like, why do I care? Like, why are they famous? And so it, it became this whole era. And even to the state it's bled over in today, uh, you know, they're famous for being famous. Paris Hilton hadn't, hadn't made any records. She hadn't starred in any movies. She hadn't done anything amazing. She was just famous because her parents were rich. And then she's put on TV and... The Kardashians, similarly, they were famous, I guess, because their dad was the lawyer to O.J. Simpson and was like, hey, let's create a show about them. And, and so they become famous for being famous. And, well, I mean, look at where we are today with social media, with um, even now this podcast is going out through social media and the Internet and, and many people all over, uh, listeners all over, actually, to this podcast where where there's now a, a huge uh, a culture of amazing connection in a positive way. I love the fact that I am able to connect with people all over and that you're able to hear and I'm able to hear and I'm I'm you know we're able to especially during COVID and the pandemic being able to connect with people over Zoom um, especially when we weren't able to actually be with them, present with them. And so all that amazing technology and all the, the abilities that, that um, our technology and internet age has been able to give us, but with, with the ever-expanding reach of, of all that we are able to do from YouTube and Facebook and, and again, all of our social media uh, apps, the extent to which a culture of personality, the cult of personality is able to grow and where we as individuals even perpetuate that, that idea without even realizing it. And we know we, we've, we've all wrestled with it, posting on Facebook and posting on Instagram and posting videos and the extent to which we are able to be honest and real and at the same time keep up with 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 the times and and put our our best face forward it it 
it brings up the question, where is our character? Where is the, the culture of character? Has that completely left us? Have we, have the 1900s, the 20th century, and the cult of personality, the culture of personality, has that morphed into a culture of celebrity in the 21st century? Where all of us are celebrities in our own way. And we don't even, even even have to be on social media to be our own celebrity. We, What we watch on TV and on movies and the very surreal lives, I think that was the name of that show with Nicole Richie and Paris Hilton, The Surreal Life, maybe. Um, you know, our surreal, our surreal lives where it's it's almost at times it feels like where is the where what's real and what's fake what what is even on reality tv it's not real it's a lot of it is kind of provoked or even if it's not scripted it's kind of coached and 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 so are we now in a whole other culture a culture of celebrity or even a culture of of not able to identify what is real from what is what is fantasy, a culture of fantasy, living beyond our means, traveling to exotic places even when we really shouldn't, or, or um, engaging in, we have access to so much today that we've never had access before, access to before. And, and I think bringing ourselves back to a, a reality, and, and this is one of the reasons why I, I really do love history, it, it really does help us to, to understand our present and p perhaps our future. And though it's so cliche, the, the truth of history is that um, if, you know, those who don't learn from it are doomed to repeat it because human nature is bound up in, in our, our, the struggle that we have. The cult of personality really has always been around. The, the idea, the culture of celebrity has been there from the beginning of time. If you look back through even the stories in the, the, um, the Bible, in the Jewish and Christian Bible, and the stories of, of, of grandiosity, the, the palace and the temple that Solomon built, and the grandiosity of it, and the wealth that he accumulated, and and you look down and even into when you get into the New Testament, the, the Christian part of, uh, of the Bible, and you you grasp some of the stories there, Ananias and Sapphira, who were struck dead because because they lied. That was always a story that as a kid, um, you know, basically, if you want to scare your kids straight, just tell them that story. They'll never lie again. Right. I mean, there's obviously more going on there, but they were they lied because they wanted to seem like they had done something really really good they wanted the pat on the back they wanted the notoriety for it that that there's always been a desire to uh, the tower of babel in 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 the book of genesis in the bible the desire to build a tower to the heavens that we've always struggled with wanting to be to be seen as more, to have more, to be noticed, to be um, better, bigger, smarter, whatever than we are. And boy, do we love it when people love us. 
And it's really hard not to get caught up in what other people think of us. And whether other people think that, think that we're doing a good job or, or a bad job. This culture of personality and this culture of celebrity, I think, that we are in today. And this culture of fantasy. It feels like it's squeezed out the true culture of, of character. What is, what is the essence of our character? And in what way am I growing in my character? The character, our character is that part of us that is not always seen, but indefinitely in times of stress and difficulty, it will come out. Our character is, it's really our default nature. It's, it's when we, when we struggle in a certain area, it'll eventually come out, especially under stress or where, where our character has flaws. You can only, we, we can only cover those character flaws up for, for a little while and eventually it comes out. I think back to, um, our, our U.S., United States presidents over the years, and you can definitely see the shift, you know, from an Abraham Lincoln in the 1860s, a culture of character, to um, a cult of, of personality um, as it moved into the 20th century. And, and leaders like FDR and, and even leaders like JFK um, and, and Bill Clinton, I would say probably Trump as well, that you're really charismatic, dynamic leaders who are able to draw people to themselves, who are Ronald Reagan, who are able to, um, they, they have a charisma about them that is able to pull people towards themselves. And, um, that, you see, you see the way they, they, um, the way they speak, the way they interact with others. And you see the, uh, especially when you get to people like JFK, the adoration that just emanated from him. One author, Dick Morris, um, who was one of Bill Clinton's aides at one point, and then wrote a, a couple books about him and about, um, Hillary Clinton. He, he made this comment. He said, you know, JFK, John F. Kennedy Jr., um, he had this aura about him where everybody was just looking at him. And so he had this aura about him was, was kind of like, hey, look at me, look at me. And then you get to Bill Clinton. He had a different aura. It was, look at me looking at you. JFK, it, it, it's almost like he didn't necessarily care. I think he was a little bit removed from the fandom and the, the, the press and all of that. And, and I, I don't know that, that he cared so much. There's an aloofness to him, but he was still very much a celebrity, charismatic and young and all that kind of stuff. But Bill Clinton has this, has this type of empathy and sympathy, and he seems to really connect with the people that he's talking with. He has a way, you can just see it in the way he's talking to people or interacting with people, but it's still very much, he's still very much aware that you're looking at him. So it's like, 
look at me looking at you. Everybody's looking at me while I'm looking at you. And I'm aware that everybody's looking at me while I'm looking at you. Um, Ronald Reagan, you know, again, Donald Trump, other other U.S. presidents, and, and there have been even, you know, globally, uh, other world leaders who, who have been who have been similar in that. Um, I would say Tony Blair of the United Kingdom, that there's that there's this um, this sense of of me as a leader and and maybe not so much um maybe maybe not so much an emphasis upon my character and we've definitely moved into this age politically where we're not as much concerned with our politicians character we're more concerned with what they're going to do and whether or not we think that they will be a good leader and what they will do for us and and let me just say that's just true on both sides politically, particularly in the U.S., but this can be true globally as well. And really reflect on that idea. That actually, according particularly to this historian on, on Mussolini, and I, I think that's, I, I would agree that that, that that seems to be true. Where we're looking at especially political leaders and we're saying, well, I'm not so much sure that I, I really care about the character underneath, but I really want to make sure that you're able to do right by me and do right by the country. And so we've we've really we've really pulled back on the essence of of what makes us who we are. And we've pulled back on the things that that will determine our actions, that will determine our, whether the things that we do are good or bad, are harmful for us and others, or good for us and others. Our character determines what we do. And Jesus really tells us this. In fact, throughout scripture, we see this idea. You, you see this tree metaphor throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 1, in uh, Jesus in the New Testament talking about, uh, you'll know a tree by its fruit. I believe that's in Matthew, in the Beatitudes, or in the Sermon on the Mount. And then you get into this when you get into Galatians chapter 5, and where Paul talks about um, the, the fruit of the spirit and the, then the acts of the sinful nature. There are all of these metaphors talking about the reality of a tree and, and particularly Jesus when he says, you'll know a tree by its fruit. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. That you're going to know a person's character by what they do eventually. That in this day and age when we've been able to really cover up our character by a whole lot of personality, eventually our character will come out. And what I love about Paul in, in Galatians chapter 5 is that he really tells us how to deal with our character. He really tells us how to, how to bear good fruit. You know, I used to think that, that the fruit of the Spirit was something that I needed to act on, that I needed to actually do. I needed to be loving and kind and gentle and, you know, that, that I needed to be all of those things. And it wasn't until years later that I really understood that what Paul was saying is, 
yeah, that's great that you can do these things, but really these things are going to become automatic out of you because you are loving. You don't have to act loving if you grow in your relationship with Jesus and your walk with Jesus, you will become loving. You will become kind. You will become uh, uh, gentle and self-controlled. These aren't things that you need to do like a checklist. But this is the person that you will become. This is your character or will be your character if. And he goes on to say, if you live and walk by the Spirit. As usual, as humans, we, we get a lot backwards. We, we like to deal with the outer layer first. We like to deal with the easy things first. We like to fix our behavior first, or we like to really dress up our persona and our personality first, and then we think maybe I'll deal with the other stuff later. But Jesus works from the inside out. That God asks us to deal with our character first. And as we deal with our character, as we walk and are led by the Spirit, as we live by the Spirit, as we walk in step with the Spirit, as we, as we follow Jesus faithfully, we don't have to merely act loving or act like we <laughs> love others. We genuinely and truly are loving. You know, in this, in this, especially in this uh, time period and, and um, the loss of, again, just a, a, I think, a pretty extraordinary woman, Queen Elizabeth II, and, and the loss of some of our older generation who may have grown up in a different age, uh, a culture of, of character. I, I hope that we are, as humans, that we are able to come back to what really matters, that, that really character does count. And what we will develop in ourselves and in others and those that we influence a culture of character. And I'm in need of it just as much as the next person. And that we would focus, that we would remain focused on those things that on those things that truly matter. Well thank you for miss listening to this this episode, episode eleven of the Nefesh podcast and you know I'd love to dialogue with you um, feel free to reach out to me via email uh, the Nefesh podcast at gmail.com I'd love to answer any questions or again dialogue with you about some of these things I'm a total history nerd so if you want to talk history I am definitely all ears um, but you can reach me at the Nefesh podcast at gmail.com And again, thanks for listening and we'll see you, talk to you, listen to you, engage with you next time.